It's like being comfortable in your own skin. Um, being comfortable in your own skin is that you are who you are now by the grace of God and that you don't, we're not comfortable with our failures and with our sins. You know, we ask God for forgiveness, but God, didn't, God isn't going to make you a different person. <laughs> You're it. <laughs> well, I would like to be like, no, this is the, this is the unique you. So the unique you has to understand that in your uniqueness, you become the person that God has created you to be. All your faults and failures, you know, like the one guy said, warts and all. <laughs> you are who you are, and so let's, let's deal with it. You know, it isn't that life is going to uh, be better or worse. It's that it is, <laughs> it is what it is. But it is what it is, but we are the one who handles it in a way that glorifies God and is willing to allow God to work in our lives. So no matter what it is, no matter what we do, no matter who we are, whether it's in school or whether it's at the workplace, it doesn't matter. We were doing this and God is with us. Well, today I, I, I was thinking of two, two of, there's a number of scriptures that we could classify as favorites, but I thought of Philippians in chapter 4, uh, how that this particular section in chapter 4, verse, beginning at verse 1, how that this beginning section of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, how, that, uh, how influential it is in our, in our life and what it means to us in the long haul. So we look at this, and it is what it is. Paul is in prison. <laughs> so what do you do while you're in prison? You fret and fuss and grebbly and complain that you don't deserve to be here. I'm innocent. <laughs> no. Paul, in whatever state you are in, be thankful to God. And in that state, being thankful to God, you find out what you're supposed to do. Paul wrote letters from prison. So this is one of his prison epistles. And he is writing to the church at Philippi for the believers and thanking them for their continued support. It's, you know, Paul went to different areas, different communities, and preached the gospel, and they established churches and so on, but not all the churches remembered Paul. I mean, you know, they would send offerings, they would send, you know, in individuals to visit him, things like that. So Paul was thanking the church at Philippi for their, their consideration and for their support of him. So he is concerned for them because he, he knows that they are going to face further persecution. And he urges the believers then to work together. Get together in this, in your faith. Get together and, and, and support one another. And he encourages them to serve one another. You know, sometimes people like to have people serve them. He's telling them, serve one another. And then, of course, to live joyfully in every circumstance. And again, Paul's writing this from prison. Live joyfully in every circumstance. <laughs> you know, so we're getting a perspective. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, and I'm reading from the Phillips translation, so it'll be a little different than the King James. My brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. So Paul is introducing this, this section to people he loves and is concerned. You're my joy and you're my crown. Wouldn't, 
What if I stood up here and say, you know, you're my joy and my crown. What would you do? Pastor's lying. (laughs) He lost it. He must not have a lot of joy if he loves us, you know. (laughs) But you are my joy and you are my crown. So he's writing this letter. Not only are they getting it, but we have it. So Paul in prison is remembering the people of the church and he's telling them, You're my joy and my crown. So in reality, you are my joy and my crown. Because you're here. You're part of this body. You're part of this group. And so therefore, as part of this, there is a joy in serving you and you as you serve one another. Paul says, stand firm in the Lord. And remember how much I love you. (laughs) You stand firm in the Lord is don't rely upon flesh but on God. Stand firm in the Lord. Because I love you, I want you to see and I want you to experience God in your life. So stand firm in God. Then he goes to Judas and Syntyche. I beg you by name to make up your differences as Christians should. (laughs) You know, you're my joy and my crown, but you know you two ladies need to straighten up. (laughs) That's what he's telling them. You two ladies need to get your act together. You know, you're, you're, you know, fighting and whatever. Well, what what this is, by their names, they are Greek names, so um, they're possibly suggesting that these women were foreigners in Philippi, and that they may have been even like Lydia, who was a seller of purple, who was a businesswoman. So these two women could have been businesswomen who were very active in the early church at Philippi and starting it up and getting it going, but they were very independent, strong-willed people. Well, when you put two very independent, strong-willed people in the same house, (laughs) you're going to have conflict. And so Paul is telling them to, uh, you better, I want you to work out your differences. So, you see, people having differences of opinion is not a bad thing. It just is. We're not all the same. We don't all see things the same. So having a difference of opinion is fine. We need to do that to express what we are. So, how would you like your name written in scriptures that 2,000 years ago people were going to read about you? <laughs> I mentioned you by name. <laughs> so, whenever we get to heaven, we're fine. Where's Judas? <laughs> Where's Judas and Syntyche? Did you, go, did, you, did you figure it out? <laughs> did you get your life together? No. And my true fellow workers, help these women. <laughs> I can just imagine, you know. They're reading the letter in the congregation, and these two women are there. And, and then he said, you fellow workers, help them get it together. <laughs> so uh, both worked hard with, uh, with me for the gospel, as did Clement and all my other fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul clearly is establishing the fact these people have a difference. And he is also calling upon other people to help them work it out. So, it isn't a bad thing when we have differences of opinion. It's, it's, it's if we allow those things to continue to hinder the relationship and hinder the body of Christ. 
This is a fledgling church. This is a beginning church. And, you know, it, <laughs> Paul is establishing what the church will become, and it's, it's just in its infancy. And so Paul is telling the ladies, you need to get this together, and everybody else, you need to help them. You don't get on one side or the other. My true fellow workers, help these women. <laughs> so as with any quarrel, you need a mediator to help kind of find out and get, be the go-between. Then he goes on in verse 4. Delight yourself in God. So don't focus on the things that are wrong. Focus on what it is that's going to make us and makes our relationship with God. So your relationship with God is more important than your disagreements with each other. And picking and choosing sides is not, the, is not an option. So we find that you are to delight yourself in God. Yes, find your joy in him at all times. King James says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And so we're looking at this delight ourselves in God and delight ourselves in his joy at all times. Whoa. Rejoice, me, rejoice is an expression of confidence in God. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's like, I am confident in God. I am confident in God. <laughs> I am confident in God that he is going to work this out. He's going to work in my life. He's going to help me achieve that which he has directed my life to do. So whenever we're saying, thank you, God, I'm confident in God of what he's going to do. Delight <laughs> has the understanding of gentleness. Delight yourself in God. Don't pick on God. <laughs> Delight in him. Be gentle. That when you go to prayer, it is a, a calming, a mild temperament. That we bring ourselves to God because we are aligning ourselves, as it were, with who God is. He, he isn't in anger. He's not in fits of rage. He is, he is delighting in our communication with him. God is gentle. Gentle. Having or showing a mild, kind, or tender temperament. <laughs> if I ask you, when you kneel down or sit down or when you're walking and praying, do you ever picture what would be the temperament of God? What is he thinking? What would God be thinking as I'm praying? Would he be upset with me because I'm asking for the same thing over and over again? Would he congratulate me for asking over and over again for having faith to continue to ask? Would God be upset or angry with the world? Would God be... We see, <laughs> when we're upset, when we're angry, things are out of control. For God, nothing is out of control. So God is at peace, the peace of God, that God is at peace, and so when we are approaching God, we must recognize that he is gentle, he is kind, he is long-suffering. He's expecting us to pray. He's expecting us to say what's on our heart. He's expecting us to deliver to him the things that we can't handle on our own and that we, that we won't handle on our own. 
In fact, if we can handle them on our own, we need to ask God even more clearly and more quickly because if we try to do it on our own, we're not going to do it very well. And never forget, this is, I think, one of the most, one, one of the important sections of this verse and this chapter. Never forget the nearness of the Lord. Never forget that God is near. What does the King James have? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Number five. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So never forget God is with you. Never forget wherever you are at, God is there. Never forget you're never alone. Never forget God is right there with you in the difficulty, in the accident, in the trauma, in the joyful, in everything working. God is near. You know, we have the misconception that when everything goes well, well, God is with you. And when something all terrible happens, well, God must have got out of the car. (laughs) What was it? uh, Years ago, I used to tease some some of my friends of another denomination, they have the saint on the, on the dash. And they say, well, I said, it, it, when the speed limit's 55, does he get out? <laughs> you're going 70, and it's, I think he left. <laughs> you're on your own now. You're breaking the law. Well, in our life, God never leaves us alone. And that, of course, that was just a little humorous, but poke at, uh, but anyhow, it isn't that, well, let's go on. So we have faith, and we know that God is with us, and that the Lord is near us. The psalmist says, pray to the Lord, and he will hear you. Okay. God is near, he is, and he, he hears us. He knows what we think. Our communion with God is more than just our conversation, and whenever I, you know, and he goes away, and I, whenever I call him, he comes back. No. God is always near us. And the psalmist, he says, pray to the Lord, he will hear you. He will save you from all your troubles. The Lord is close to those who have suffered disappointment. So even to, to those who have, been, who have suffered disappointment, he, he, he's even closer than being just near us. Never forget the nearness of God. So there are many texts, as I said, that stand out in the Bible, and this is the the favorite one for me. Don't worry over anything, whatever. What's the King James say, verse 6? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. So don't worry over anything, whatever. Should we just stop there and... (laughs) Write that down. Don't worry about anything. Be not anxious about anything. Now, anxiety is just counterproductive. It's being a pawn on a chessboard, and we're being moved by our anxiety and not by the hand of God. When people feel that they're just pawns on a chessboard being sacrificed for the greater good, They are moved by their anxieties and their fears. And they're moved around and they can be sacrificed at any moment. And our anxieties and our fears put us in those positions. So we are fretful. We are apprehensive. (laughs) 
and we have very anxious moments or times. You see, when our, our worries, our worries can become fear, and fear can become prisons. Our worries become fears, our fears become prisons. People are held captive by, their, by COVID. Now, we have to, again, we have to understand what it is. We have to deal with the, the, this, this uh, what is it, a pandemic that's around the world. We have to deal with it, and we have to, we have, to be, be, have sense about it. But the idea is we do not, we're not to lock ourselves up in a prison, but to deal with it in a healing way and continue to move on with our life because life does go on. So fears, no, anxieties become fear. Be not anxious about anything. Why? Because God doesn't want us to be fearful. Why? Because he is near us. Now, the Bible says, there's another verse that says, God is never so far away as to be just near us. All right? So he abides within us. If I take the wings of the morning and go to the uttermost parts of the earth, God is there. It means that if I can travel at the speed of light from one mountain peak to the next mountain peak, God has already been there. He's ahead of me. Expressing in detail. It says, in every, in God, excuse me, move on to the next. In, don't worry over anything, whatever. Tell God every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. Tell God every detail of your needs. Um, you know, we've been doing different studies on Wednesday night. Nehemiah, whenever he wanted to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall, uh, he was the cupbearer to the king. And he received this message about how bad things were going. And he waited a couple of months. I forget how long. But he waited a couple of months. And when he got into the king and asked the king for, you know, for permission to go to Jerusalem and rebuild it, the king asked, well, how long are you going to be gone? What do you need? Nehemiah just laid out the whole thing before him. The, idea, the, 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 the concept is that Nehemiah, in prayer, had went through in his mind, in his spirit, everything that he would need in every detail, and he was asking God to provide it for him, and when the time came, it was, he just laid it out. This is what we need. So whenever we are praying, it, you know, it is, and you know, me, again, I'm not a detailed person, but I need to be more detailed. Uh, somebody say amen. Uh, <laughs> you need to have details. Uh, God, I need a suit. And it gives me a polka dot suit with purple stripes, you know. I don't know. No, I don't want that. Be detailed is what you need, all right? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the, one of the ladies in our, one of the, our first church, really, uh, a lady said to me, I said, the lady asked me, in very kind, you know, where'd you get that suit? Oh, I got it from so-and-so. Their husband died, and they, need, they were cleaning it out. <laughs> and then she says to me, do you wear everything people give you? <laughs> At that time, I did, yeah. But, uh, you know, it was like she was kindly saying, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, that's out of style, Pastor. You need to 
you know, move on from there. <laughs> yeah, it fit, you know. So I gave it away, but somebody else wear it out of style. But in every detail, be detail-oriented in your prayers. How is this going to work? Well, God, but you see, what you're doing is preparing for. And in the preparation, perhaps we can see, well, you know, I maybe need to change this to do this. But if you don't have any concept, we just wait for something to happen, then we just go with it. Sometimes that's how it is. But sometimes we need to pray about and look for the things that we're praying about to, be, to come into our life so that we can know the main prayer is coming. <laughs> that we know we've been praying for A, B, C, D, E, and we we're praying and we, uh, E shows up. It's, oh, wow, that must mean A is coming. <laughs> you know, it must, so our faith is increased whenever we see some of the answers to our prayer because they don't always come. A, B, C, D, E, you know, they come, they come out, of, out, of, out of order. But the challenge is to be thankful in every prayer. So I am thankful God is near me. He always hears me. He loves me. Communion, he forgives me. He lives within my heart and my life. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. So therefore, I am thankful that I can give to God my needs and my prayers and the, the details of my prayers. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm, you know, it isn't that we're trying to explain to God exactly how he should do it. God is expecting us to express how we think it should be, and then we are allowing God to help us formulate those thoughts into something that is his pattern. And once we do this, something happens. The peace of God. <laughs> you see, there's peace with God and there's peace from God. And we find that the peace of God, what will it do? It will transcend your understanding. So peace with God is, there is no disturbance in my hope. There's no, dis you know, there's nothing too difficult for God. And peace from God is that, he has nothing between us. As far as God is concerned, he wants, to, he wants to bestow his blessings and guidance and will and purpose upon our life. So we're getting out, getting out of the way all the difficulties, things we say or don't say, do whatever, don't do. We're getting all the garbage out of the way, and on God's part, we're recognizing he has no things in the way. And what happens with the peace? It comes because it transcends human understanding. Nothing in this world or of this world could, could possibly steal or give divine peace. This peace carries the idea of harmony with God. The peace of God that passes all understanding reminds me I didn't read this in the commentary, but it re reminds me of in Genesis when God looks at his creation and he says everything is good. The good in Genesis means everything is in harmony with one another and it is all working together according to a divine pattern and plan. All of creation is just functioning as it should be. Well, whenever I have peace with God, there is this understanding everything is as it should be. 
oh, this isn't right, and that isn't right. No, 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 we're not looking at what isn't right. We're looking at what is right, what is correct. And with God, there is, there's another level. There's another dimension. There's something greater than what we see and what we experience. Verse 8 and 9, Paul says, here is a piece of advice. If you believe in goodness, and if you value the approval of God, think about that one for a moment. If you value the approval of God, fix your minds. It doesn't mean you go in there with a wrench and you know, fix it. Fix your mind is to think on the things which are holy. Think on the things which are good, which are right, which are pure and beautiful and good. People fill their minds with garbage. Throw the garbage out. Turn the garbage off. <laughs> Don't let it fill your heads. Allow the peace of God and the, the, the things which are holy and pure and beautiful and God's timing that we are allowing them to work in our life and keep our mind focused on you, on God. Verse 9. Model your conduct on what you have learned from me, Paul tells them. Be re reflect what it is that I have shown you. You know, I'm in prison for the, for the sake of the gospel, but it's okay. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for me. Learn from me. So we learn from those who are, have gone before us. We learn from those who have experiences beyond our own. And what, ha what I have told you and shown you, and you will find the God of peace will be with you. So God is near. God is with us. He is the God of peace who is with you. If the God of peace who is with me, then I don't need to have ang anxious moments. I don't need to be anxious and fearful. I don't need to be in prison. I know that I am set free by Jesus Christ, and he keeps me free. <laughs> the God of peace be with you. <laughs> Never forget the nearness of God. <laughs> God is with you. And so the, the challenge is... <laughs> that we can see how that God is with us and how that God transcends all of the things that are around us and don't worry over anything. Don't be a pawn being moved around by life's anxious moments. Don't worry about anything, but in every detail of your needs, make it expressed, express it to God. You see, the God of peace will be with you and hold you close to him. The second scripture that I was going to talk about, and I'll just briefly hit it, because is Jeremiah 29, 11. Excuse me, yeah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, in our studies on Wednesday, we went through the book of Jeremiah, and we know that uh, Jeremiah is a prophet in Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar has from Babylon has come in and taken all the people, most of the people from the land and taken them back to Babylon. And verse 4 of chapter 29, and this is what the all-powerful, uh, the Lord all-powerful, the God of the people of Israel says, all the people he sent into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. He said, build your houses. You're going to be there for a while. Settle in the land. Let your sons and daughters get married. Do good things for the city I send you to. 
Verse 10, and this is what the Lord says, Babylon will be powerful for 70 years. The Nehemiah is writing, no, Jeremiah is writing to the, to the, captive, to the people in Babylon. He's in Jerusalem under the, the siege. And he's writing to the people in Babylon. That He's telling them, settle where you're at, get married, build houses, do all those things, but you're only going to be there for 70 years. Then verse 11. I say this because you're only going to be there 70 years. I say this because I know the plans that I have for you. This message is from the Lord. I have good plans for you. I don't plan to hurt you. I plan to give you hope and a good future. So he writes to these people in captivity who are hardly beginning their 70 years of captivity, and he gives them the promise of God that says, you're going to be here 70 years, but don't worry about it. I have plans for you. I have plans to prosper you. I have plans to give you hope and a good future. That's my plans for you. So you see, in every detail, we make our request known to God. And God is saying to us, I have plans for you. (laughs) I I have good plans for you. So where you're at, recognize it's not where you're going to stay. It's only temporary. For us, we're only here temporarily. God is going to return. We're going to go to heaven. Whether we die physical or the rapture of the church comes, but we know this. No matter where we are at, God is near. He has plans for you. And that good plans for you, not to hurt you, See, they would think that they were taken captive to a foreign country. What's going to happen to us now? Don't worry about Babylon. Think about this. God has you there for a purpose. Don't plan to hurt you. I plan to give you hope and a good future. (laughs) That's what God promises us. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your scriptures and how that it speaks to our hearts and gives us this incentive to pray and to bring our needs to you in every detail. And that, Lord, you hear our prayers because you are right here next to us. And you respond to those prayers by saying, don't worry, I have a good plan for you. I have plans not to hurt you but I have plans to give you hope and a good future. So bring your needs to me. Find my peace. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Know that I am with you and guiding you in all of these events. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to our hearts, letting your spirit move within our lives and giving us hope for each day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.